What up, Johan Yox? Welcome back to the Rambling Biking Podcast, bringing your Friday dose of weird. And we are going to be covering some news from this week. It's going to be very news-centric. Some weird news, some important news. Should be a lot of fun. First and foremost, if you've been tracking me at all, you know that I've been going carnivore, and I discovered Liver King, and I tried raw liver. If you haven't seen that video, I posted it on my Instagram page, the Rambling Biking Podcast, where it took me six minutes to eat about an ounce and a half worth of raw beef liver. It was disgusting, but Liver King told me, just eat it raw, be a man. So I tried to be a man and eat it raw, and I succeeded. Ten gags, one failed swallow attempt, and with some help of intermittent pineapple and scrambled egg, I was able to break up the disgusting, slimy, chewy goopiness of it, and it was just very weird. I've never had a food that caused me to involuntarily gag so much. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm a picky eater. Textures matter. There's a lot of stuff I don't, I don't eat, so I'm not necessarily the best for, say, judging a food competition or something like that because I don't like a lot of foods. But at the same time, I think despite... I mean, foods really don't make me gag. I just sit there and it's unpleasant, right? I'm not sensitive like that. But... This was straight up making me gag. So, it's, yeah, it's like a six-minute video. Pretty entertaining, personally. I think so. I'm glad I decided to video. It is six minutes of clenching my fist, basically, as hard as I can, and just trying to focus so hard. So, yeah, if you're getting in the liver game or the carnivore game, just be fair warned. <laughs> Raw is... Rough doesn't even begin to explain it. Raw is insane. Is wild. Well, then I find, oh, he likes to salt it with Redmond sea salt, which is out of Utah. You should go check that out. You can find that at like, uh, definitely Whole Foods and Sprouts. I don't think Walmart will have it, but if you look at the, when you go in the salt area, look kind of at the bottom. Usually there's at least Maldon salt, which is more of a finishing salt, but it's good. And Redmond will be around there, but it's pretty good. It's out of the salt flats in Utah. So salt mines. So it's ancient. They call it ancient sea salt, you know, cause that used to be an ocean or whatever. So it's pretty cool, but yeah, did that. Well, then, yesterday, I tried it with the maple syrup and the salt. Still raw. And, actually, too, Paul Saladino recommended vinegar, soaking it in a vinegar water mixture for, you know, half an hour. I did it for, like, ten minutes. Kind of uh, pull some of that metallicness out of it and kind of make it more palatable. Yeah. It was, and I cut it into smaller strips, too. It was still brutal. Uh... But it was better because when it's one giant chunk, it makes you gag harder. So I didn't gag as much. And the maple syrup helped a little bit. I had to resalt some of the pieces. I, I ate the first one. was like, more salt. Just more drowning it in salt, really. Because, oh, man. So I recommend just, like, flash frying it in the pan. So I did this morning. It was still, I mean, still liver. still rough. But honestly, if you can get it mixed in with some ground beef or some sausage, that's the best way, I think, to do organs. I... I cut up into slices the kidney I have. I have not tried it yet. But whether it's mixing it in with a stew or it's just boiling it and then drinking the broth. I don't know. Also made bone broth in the pressure cooker. Came out pretty good. Bone broth's a little bit weird. I don't know if I strained it enough, but it's whatever. I'm going to drink it. It's supposed to be good for you. So yeah, carnivore is going good. Which if you want to know all about the carnivore code, book review two episodes back or so. Actually, might have been Wednesday. On the note of Liver King, 
Liver King is my spirit animal. And if you want to know what to expect from as far as me and where I am in life in five years or so, just look to Liver King now. That's that's me. That's my prediction at least. So yeah, it's just I that's more or less what I'm gonna be. <laughs> Not totally. I don't think I'm gonna go take it to the same extreme that he does. I read through he has a free ebook, liverking.com, link in description, but and he has his nine tenets of ancestral living. It's pretty interesting. So it's sleep, eat, move, shield, connect, cold, sun, fight, and bond. And you're like, oh, yeah, that all sounds simple. Well, when you start reading through them, sleep. He recommends sleeping on the floor. Eat. Eating a nose-to-tail carnivore diet, which I'm already doing. Move. Lift heavy stuff. And he has this thing called the barbarian walk or march. Shield, I don't remember. Also don't remember connect is maybe make bonds seek out to make bonds cold is like take cold showers cold immersion hot cold sun get your sun fight is do something hard more or less and then bond is to bond so yeah he's pretty insane but it is very entertaining to watch so worth a follow on instagram but it's it's something let me tell you and I think something he does point out to living so radically and, you know, so if you want to call it caveman-ish, so brutish, I think it is something you might call it an overcorrection, but at the very least to me, it highlighted that and made me really think, think about, you know, we live in a day and age where it's mental health and it's people, you know, honestly, I think overall societal, that's the biggest issue people deal with, but it's a mental health problem. It's a, to put it, Generally, people are soft. People are very, very soft. We live in a very soft, cushy society that is made for very, me included. I'm not excluding myself from this, but uh, we need, I think we need to take a focus of doing things that are hard and, and forcing ourselves into struggle to make us stronger, not just in a physical, literal sense, but in an emotional and a mental sense. And, you know, I think we, sometimes we look at it and we're like, oh, we're mental, so we need to, you know, it's the self-care. You need to slow down. I think I agree with slowing down, self-reflection, being introspective. But I also think there's something to doing something very hard and pushing through that hard thing that builds mental fortitude, builds emotional fortitude. I think too much we say, oh, it, when you, what do you think about it? When it gets too hard, and we're seeing that in athletics at the highest level, Simone Biles and all that, and it's just like, look, that's their decision at the end of the day, but I also think it points out the general softness that is permeating our entire society, and you know, then we look at, oh, we, we live in a primarily sedentary, overweight society too, so people are literally more soft, <laughs> and we people are offended at every little thing more than ever it's like walking on eggshells when you try and say anything or do anything or or speak truth honestly or express yourself just honestly and and discuss hard topics and people are obsessed with having a safe space and it's like every space is safe if you're tough enough and this sounds callous and coarse and a little bit like oh just buck up man up well i think there's some truth to that i i think that i think that there can be that can be taken too far but then i think the converse where we're at where i believe we're at the pendulum has now swung back too far and it's i mean we see an attack on masculinity and we see that these sort of when you when you hear these sort of things it 
what I'm saying right now is toxic masculinity to so many people and is offending people and is saying you don't care about their mental health. It's like I care very deeply about their mental health. And I think one of the most important things in life is to struggle and take on struggle, whether it's self-imposed or whether you, when you find yourself in struggle, but to figure it out. There's something to figuring it out that makes us stronger as people. Because it's like when you can get through one thing, and if you, want it, if you want a testament to that, go listen to my Blessings Born Out of Tragedy episode with my sister who did college through COVID. And Rachel, I know you're going to listen to this, and so I don't know how self-aware you are of this, but we're going to flesh it out right here in the open-air internet. But anyways... It's confidence is something that she has struggled with personally, at least from my perspective. Right. And she might disagree with this, but self-confidence and particularly when it comes to school and she just had the hardest two years of schooling, hardest two years probably of her life. She got through them and that combined with, I mean, we've been strength training and it's like a totally different person. Yeah. There was so much struggle, so much hardship, but she has made it through and now her, I mean, I see she is more confident than ever. She is opened her horizons. Historically, looking back, she was not always open to trying things and doing things and was very much like stay in my comfort zone. Now, I mean, shoot, she now she started, she learned how to ski this winter and took a subsequent trip after her first trip and like will want to ski, wants to ski more and personally and that's something that if it's something that's hard and that's physical, a lot of times going in the past prior to now going more than two years back, I don't see that something that she really wanted to try or do. But now what did I, what do I see is I see a more confident, a stronger, someone who has emotional, mental fortitude at a level that she never would have attained had she not gone through that struggle. But you can go listen to her whole story at, uh, go back for three or four episodes, blessings born out of tragedy and college over the past two years is my sister's story and how much of a struggle it was. So there's something to it, right? And so there's, I know there's a natural inclination to run away from the struggle, run away from the resistance, but I think there's something to be found when you lean into it and you, you, you embrace it, you try and figure it out and you, and you push through. And that's not saying that you might not have problems. You might not, you know, that you're going to be without, potentially breakdowns, anxiety attacks, things like that. But I think, and I think there are different ways to address it. And there is a time to slow down, to step back, to step away, to regather yourself. And then there's a time to push through. So figuring that out, finding that balance, right? Living a very balanced life. I think this world, we need more struggle. We need people to, whether to honestly be self-imposed more struggle. This is why if you talk to me, and no disrespect here, but half marathons are garbage. Doing a half marathon, garbage. Don't, more people do half marathon. When I look at something like that, I say, I'm going to do a marathon. Why do I do a marathon? Because most of us can mentally conceive and grasp like running 13, uh, 13.1 miles. It's like, okay, I could train up to, it's reasonable, right? But when you hear 26.2, you go, that is, even if I train. I'm not sure if I could do that. And that's going to push, that's farther than my limit. Like most people look at that and say, no way I could never do that. Never train for that. Myself included until 
oh man, it's been almost four or five years now. And I was like, I need something hard. I need, I, 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 I couldn't get motivated to, to work out, to stay fit. And I was like, okay, I just need a goal. I need to do something. And it was like November and it was like marathon coming up. And I was like, son, I was like, I hate running. I'm not a runner. I'm a sprinter at best. I hate like going on a casual draw. I don't do that. It doesn't work for me. I have to do an activity to get my cardio or do, do like hit training, interval training, something like circuits, whatever. I signed up for it. And most people look at that. This is another fallacy too. We'll get into a second. But anyways, I signed up for it, paid my money and said, well, whether I like it or not, I'm signed up. I'm invested. I've got to figure this out. I'm doing it. And I figured it out. I ran the, my goal was to finish and run the whole thing. And that's what I did. Five and a half hours, super slow and had to stop to poop once. And, but I ran the whole thing and I did the whole thing and it was horrible. I, I personally, I never want to do one again. But I might reach a point where it's like, I need to do one or I need to do an ultra, which technically is just could be 26.3. That's an ultra. But it's if you want to get it by technicality. But regardless, did that. And I had already run the equivalent of a half marathon doing a Tough Mudder. And so most people, too, what happens is they run a half marathon, then they run another one because they like it. They're like, it is a challenge and it does push them. And maybe that's where your perceived limit is. And maybe you can't even look at 13.1 and say, I can do, I, I could probably train and do that. You might say, I don't think I could even do that. I can't even run one mile. Then maybe that is your goal. And so it is there. But personally, I believe that if you venture into the marathon realm and doing half marathons, that step me that leap needs to be taken. If you talk to me, here's what I'm going to tell you. And well, here you are. You're listening to me. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you ever considering doing, if you're looking, if you're like, oh, I'm kind of want to do. There's a there's this you know half marathon here or half marathon there. I'm a believer in diving in the deep end. I say if you're going to do, if you're going to look at the word marathon, don't don't sell yourself short and do it half, and say oh I'm going to build up to it because I'm going to burst your bubble here. Whether you, no matter, you could do 20 half marathons and a marathon is still just as, you're only, it's half. Think about that. It's half. And you're out, your mindset will probably still remain the same after your 20th as it is after your first of a marathon is just really long. I don't know if I could do it. I could potentially fail because it is one of those things that is so lofty, so a mountain that is so imposing that even when you train my wife who did the marathon the year after me, why? Because she didn't want, she, she's not gonna be outdone by me. I've done a marathon. If I could do a marathon, she could do one. So she did it. And I remember I had a similar conversation with my buddy Malcolm and now dude, dude is a runner, runs all sorts of races. I mean, in his, it is good and kind of blew me out of the water. It's kind of one of those where it's like, well, pff, man, I got you into that. Now you're kicking my butt, but Hey, I think he is it's he's he found something and i'm not going to sit here and take credit for it i just i just remember all i said was like look and half marathon do the whole thing push yourself because you could reasonably fail you might not complete it and you know what if you don't complete it and you do fail then now you have something to push for now now you look at something for, for you know it you might feel defeated you're only defeated when you give up but if you use that as fuel that could galvanize you and then you'll kick butt. So you don't know what you're doing. But this has turned into a weird motivational thing about pushing yourself. Didn't expect that to happen. We got some news stories to get to. So, yeah, push yourself. Do the whole marathon. Oh, I need to get to that. There's a fallacy around these sort of things, too. 
I hear, I can't tell you how many times I hear, well, I want to get in better shape before signing up for the marathon. You are fundamentally misunderstanding how our psyches work around that thing, around, around those sort of things. If we sit around and say, I am just on my own going to get in a marathon type or a marathon adjacent shape, you know, even if you could run 10 miles and get in that or just get in better cardio shape and think, and you're going to get to a point where it's like, I could do a marathon, so I'm going to sign up for a marathon. That's not how this works. That's not even the premise behind doing a marathon. Doing a marathon is doing something that's like daunting. That you say, I don't know if I can do this, so I'm going to sign up because it is a challenge. You're going to push me to find my limits, see where my limits at, push my limits. And so if you are if you find yourself saying, well, I want to get in better shape before I sign up, do not listen to that voice. That is wrong. That is, you are, you are walking into a fallacy that will lead you to never doing a marathon. Because you, you want to be in shape first. We all want to be in shape first. I want to be able to dunk before I start going and playing rec basketball or I want to be, but the best, but that's not going to, I can work on it and get better, but I need to go. I, I might as well go play and hope to find that it's not a great analogy, but it's like, I want to be better at everything before I go into the official thing. But sadly, it's not really how life works. And a lot of times doing the thing is how you get the most better at something grammar, right? So, do not do that. The way this should work is you should force yourself to sign up, pay the money because usually they cost, and then guess what? Now you're invested. Now you're committed. And so now you have some, an externality, something that's extrinsic to just your own personal motivation that keeps you accountable. And that's what that is. and Because that's what we need. In something so daunting, you need to be kept accountable. The only thing I... If I had said okay, I'm going to start running, getting shape, and then I'm going to sign up for the marathon in a month or two. Guess what would have happened? I wouldn't have run, wouldn't have gotten in shape, and maybe you're the type of person who can do that. But from what I've seen and from what I know about how people and incentives work and at least how I work is, that is not the best approach. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that, and guess what? I'd never run that marathon, at least not that year. I, I said, I knew myself. I had enough self-awareness to realize that if I, I need to sign up and shell out this like hundred bucks or whatever it is, which is a lot of money, which is a good reason. And so as I, I'm signed up. So I've got one of two options. I can neglect training, which personally I actually did. I never ran more than 10 miles, but it's also honestly marathons are a mental game. It's not a physical game anyways. It's a, it's a physical game in terms of you need enough impact training. So you need to be active enough in some way, shape or form. The cardio is really not that bad to work up. As long as you're, if you're working out and doing, just doing regular and doing high intensity cardio and pushing your limits a little bit, but really it's more about the impact training, training your soft tissue, your feet, because people get shin splints, people get cramps, those things. Um, and really what it is, is a mental game. There was a point where I just said, I told myself, look, if I can't feel my legs, but I know if I'm pumping my arms, my legs will keep moving. So, and I can keep pumping my arms. And that's what I did, even though I couldn't feel my legs for 10 miles or eight miles, the last eight miles, whatever it was, I, that's, that's the thing that kept me going. It's really more of a mental game. My wife, when she trained for hers, she never passed the 18, she, her, her limit physically was 18 miles in training, 18 miles, which by the way, if I, I think if you get to the 10 to 50, if you get in the teens, once you can run that far, you can run a marathon. Now it's more physically, it's more up. Now it's a mental game of if you can. That's really the biggest obstacle. And that's, I think, the biggest obstacle for all of us, myself included constantly in life, is 
the mental game of things. We the the self doubt the the self trash talk and in an unhealthy way the depre- self deprecation and the when we oh when we let ourselves down we fall into a pit instead of you know staying strong staying disciplined and so but yet she ran in in like four four and a half hours or something I mean she smoked me she's much more naturally a runner too but better in a lot of ways and she I mean she stuck to a serious regimented training program and but 18 I remember I picked her up a few times because she hit 18 miles and couldn't run any further and she was nervous she goes I I can only run 18 miles it's that's eight there's eight more miles to go 8.2 I told her look physically you're fine this is a mental thing and what ended up happening she ended up running all 26.2 now we both have our marathon pictures and medals and whenever we get a house, we can put them up there, but we've each run a marathon we've done, and she's even taken a step further where she's now curious about like triathlon, done a sprint triathlon. And you might could look at me and say, what a Hanyak. And it's, I don't know. I'm just not interested in that. I'll do like conquer the gauntlets, tough mutters, mud runs all day, but I don't know. And maybe, maybe I need to get over myself and push myself and do a triathlon. But part of me says, if I'm going to do a triathlon, I kind of just want to jump to Ironman. That's my style a little bit. So, yeah. If you're thinking about half marathons or you've done a bunch of half marathons and you keep telling yourself, you know, I'm just not, marathon's just too much. I, I like, I can do a half marathon. That's the point of doing a marathon. You should do a marathon. Go do a marathon because the point of it is you, you, you could reasonably fail. And trust me, if you just give it a go, even if you walk, start low, right? You just want to finish under the threshold of like the, maximum time because you know after like six hours or whatever they start kicking you off the course or they pick you up so or you could be like me and say i just want to finish and i want to run the whole thing now i should say run in quotes because sometimes it was like you could have easily power walked faster than i was going but i was it was the running motion and that's what counts for me and i achieved my goals so yeah there's your motivational rant for today on doing something hard. So no matter what it is, like today, I did 10 seconds of ice cold water on my back in the shower. I'm not proud of that. I would have preferred to take an entire cold shower or gotten fully soaked. But I'm a wimp right now. And so, but I want to work up to where it's like I just can take showers cold or at least do 30 seconds of cold on me. All over me. Not just hitting me in the middle of the back. So that's what I'm working towards. And I'm going to push myself on. So feel free to roast me on that, but just do something to challenge or push yourself and reasonably. So something that you can't just do first try. Okay. And that's, that's what'll make you better, whether it's mental, physically. And I think we need more fortitude building is what I'm going to call it in today's society. We need to stop coddling. I'm not saying it's wrong. And there are times where it's, you need to, you need a tad bit of coddling. I think more than anything though, we've got, a soft society of soft men and I'm and we need to we need to work to build fortitude push each other keep each other accountable too that's the other thing is oh you're you know if you're happy doing that you're good doing I can't tell you I'm over that I'm so over that no no no. I care about you I want you to be the best form of yourself so I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna call you out if I think that you could be better then I'm gonna tell you to be better and it might piss you off in the moment we'll use that rage and get better right like how many I, I get mad at myself or trash talk myself or look at other people who are kicking butt in the gym when I'm slacking or I pat my belly that is that is not as slim and fit as I like and go, you want to keep this 
fatty? This is how I talk to myself. You want to keep this fatty? Then that's fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Quit early. Don't do those. Don't don't do that. Fifteen minutes of cardio at the end. Don't push your limits here. And then guess what happens? I get pissed at myself. This is I'm a, I might be a crazy person. I get pissed at myself though, and I say, Oh yeah, I'm freaking show you. No, I don't want to keep it. And then usually too, I find a good song to hit because I'm very. If I can get a good song going, that can get me to push my limits. So that's what I do. But and you might say, Gus, what about that self-deprecating talk you were talking? You said it was so bad. Well, yes, it's bad. If you sit there and say, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I'm fat, and there's nothing, and you don't do anything about it. I tell myself, hey, you're fat. Hey, fatty, you're fat. Fix it. What are you going to do about it, fatty? This is, this is me talking to myself, not to you. Do, do not, do not think, unless you want to use this for fuel and think I'm talking to you, if this is going to give you fuel, make you better, then by all means, feel fair, fair use there, okay? Now, don't report me, though, and be like, he's fat shaming me. No, I'm fat shaming myself. Because I believe there is a healthy level of, we'll call it quote unquote shaming that you can, that can be done. So that's how I talk to myself. It's pretty brutal, or it might sound pretty brutal or crazy, but it works. Guess what happens? My butt gets kicked into gear. I get mad at myself, and I have a my workout gets better, or whatever I'm doing gets better. So, I mean, there, I think it can be a good thing when done properly. In if if you're someone who's wired like me, who that's how it works, right? I need that brash, blunt kind of calling out. Like, that's the best way. Don't, you can't beat around the bush with me. It's like, I just, I need to be called out and I might get mad in the moment. There's a good chance I'll get frustrated in the moment. Look at you, be like, who do you think you are? What What did you just say to me? But I, if you walk away and give me five minutes, guess what will happen? I'm probably fixing whatever you called me out on in some way, shape, or form. That's how it goes. And I've talked about this before, about persuasion doesn't happen in the moment. People get pissed off. But when they're alone, when they're driving home or wherever, or just after the fact, when they're going to bed that night, they'll mull things over. And a lot of times you'll see things shift. Behaviors, things will shift. So push yourself. Okay. Well, let's see if we can actually get into anything I wrote about. This month's book, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson, classic. And I haven't read it yet, so if you've read it and would like to give, you know, give a little short review of it to be included at the end of the month in my book review episode, I would love to have that. There's snippets if there's something that you personally took away from it that really stuck out, or if you have critiques of it, whatever. Any and all thoughts would love would love for those to be there. You can either probably won't come on with the book review because as you guys know, I got way too much to say on my book reviews. There's not enough room for another person to step in. So send in voice memos, emails, DMs, whatever, or go get the book read along with me. I'm just got through the forward and the not introduction. He calls it overture. And I like I, the way that man's mind work, works is so interesting. I mean, there's a reason he's so compelling and he's so good. So reading that, And then on the note of last month's book, 12 Rules, no, Dadgummit, Carnivore Code and this whole carnivore thing. Last thing, Joe Rogan just had on Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf of Sustainable, Sacred Cow is the book and movie that they made. Go check that out. I haven't checked it out, but they it's in the same vein as Carnivore Code, meaning animal-based, meaning regenerative farming, meaning sustainable things and saying, that like, no, meat is in a lot of ways the best thing. Now, they don't, they differ on some things from Paul Saladino and other crew, but 
they are wanting to have an honest conversation, an honest look, and they're in the same ballpark, if you will. And it's very informational. It's very good. And they talk a lot about comparing, you know, vegetable protein or plant protein to meat protein, why meat protein is better because yeah, yeah. And they get into it and it's pretty good. And they talk a lot more about sustainability and how it's, you know, not just ethically, but also environmentally and regenerative farming, which I'm very interested in. And now I'm thinking that might be my long-term goal is to go start a small farm and make it be a regenerative thing and big goals, right? Uh, be a butcher, have raise them, butcher them, sell it all myself. It's a big endeavor, huge investment. Don't know if that'll actually happen, but man can dream, right? And having listened to that episode now and having read the books and living out an animal-based carnivore code, whatever you want to call it, I, and the more that I see, the more I just come to believe that meat is king and animal-based diet is the most based diet. You know what I'm saying? It's the way to go, so... Give it a try, and really, especially for those with autoimmune problems, that's where I see the most significant body of evidence is that when it comes to autoimmune things, going elimination, going meat, um, going basically carnivore reset fixes so many issues. And I think there's people out there who are more sensitive to certain foods than they realize. But, yeah. All right. Now time to have some fun. We're going to look at some news. It's all from the Daily Wire, so sue me. But there, there was just there's like a whole slew of stories over the course of two days where I was like, "What in the world is going on?" Oh, I think I even have. Hold on, I don't even have them all pulled up. I forgot about a couple. Oh, that's so right. Yep, 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 yep. Fun stuff. So we're gonna we're just gonna walk through those because they. It's what first and foremost, Kanye. Crazy Kanye, as we like to call him, and as he should universally be known, because guess what? He's crazy. Surprise, surprise, he, in his latest music video, he's being vengeful and crazy. He, his latest music video has him burying, it's a claymation thing, where he buries Pete Davidson alive and grows roses on him. And then at the end is like, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. But then he's like, you know, JK, he's fine. I haven't done anything, you know, so he's not legally liable. Uh, don't really, I, I literally, I watched this whole video. It kind of happens more at the end, but it's interesting to see the whole thing unfold. Music is all right, I guess. I mean, I really don't care for it, but <laughs> I was more interested in the music video. There's a whole article on it, but yeah, he literally buried Pete Davidson alive. So might, might be fair to say there's some grudge there. There's some bad blood <laughs> in this situation. Um, I can tell you though, I'm somebody. I'm not a fan of Pete Davidson personally. I don't. I don't know. I just he doesn't vibe with me. I don't. I don't think he's funny. You can say I don't like his look, which it's you know I don't have to like everyone's look. I don't like a lot of people's looks, but I still find them funny or think. I don't know. I just don't like him. So that's but that's that's my thoughts on it. But yeah, Kanye is very interesting in this whole saga of Kanye's divorce and now Kim dating. Pete Davidson and people are like, wow, Pete's pulling. And it's like, I mean, yeah, there's something about it. He's one of those people. He's a polarizing person. All right. Uh, you can, you can just hate him or you can, you love him. I don't think there's very many people who are apathetic. I mean, I, I will say I'm kind of apathetic. I really don't care, but yeah. 
So that's hilarious. And then in the most ironic thing I found this week, Bachelor alum, so this guy was on The Bachelor, Colton Underwood announces his engagement to Jordan C. Brown, another man. Uh, He's gay. Former Bachelor star (laughs) Colton Underwood just announced he's getting married. Wait a minute. So to get it clear, The Bachelorette is when a girl has like 12 guys and then... The Bachelor is opposite guy. He dates like 12 girls and then finds the love of his life. It's really just TV TV garbage that's just there for drama because and it's I I I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts on it. It's not real love. It's stupid. It's skewing our version of love. All these people just want to be famous me on TV and there's just a bunch of pretty people who want to be on TV. But that's how things go, right? And yeah, but you heard that right. <laughs> He came out as gay in April of 2021, so I know this is probably a joke that's been made a thousand times, that The Bachelor's actually probably a gay dude, or people are like, oh, he's gay, you know, not even necessarily talking about this guy, but how, <laughs> but here, here the proof is in the pudding. Dude, dude was gay the wrong time, the whole time. Now, there's a couple of jokes to be made here. A, it's that The Bachelor... This this happens a lot, and this is why the marriages don't work out, the engagements don't work out. It's because actually, it's these are closeted gay men on The Bachelor. Or there's this dating that many women in that close proximity at the same time has <laughs> showed him, wow, I don't think I like women anymore. <laughs> oh, this is <laughs> so. That's that's the one that I, that was my first thought when I saw this. And was like, well, I was like, eh, it goes to show you. Girls, we, women, women drive a man gay. I think this is our first proven case right here. I mean, it's infallible. This is, this is exactly what happened. He, he, he maybe was always slightly had that part of him, but then being on the bachelor really, really showed him, golly, women, women are tough. One woman is tough, but 12 at the same time, all fighting over me. You know, most guys think, oh, that's the dream. And I was like, I I think like one to two, maybe three at most. But the 12 and I'll be on TV. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a little bit of an overload where it's like, hey, when you eat pancakes every day for your life and then you or every day for a month and then all of a sudden you hate pancakes and you never want to eat pancakes again or the classic work at a restaurant or work at I should say a fast food place, but work at Yeah, work at a food food work at a restaurant. Work at a food. Gosh, I can't speak. Work at a restaurant and then after you're done working there, you work there for several years, whatever, throughout high school, it's like, I can't eat there. I don't eat there. So that's what I, that's what I think is clearly what happened here. Obviously, you know, it just wasn't him, you know, case of confusion and he found his true identity or sexuality here. And no, there's no chance he's bisexual. I look, I know best. This is infallible. (laughs) Yeah, couldn't the irony couldn't be richer. Literally, you've made a career off of dating women professionally because you do get paid and you do, you do exposure and try and in you know in the pursuit of trying to find your true love and it turns out your true love was a dude the whole time or that and that really definitely made you realize or maybe you were you thought um I might be kind of into guys and then that just was like you know what I'm definitely into guys now I can't deal with another woman I never want to see another woman again I mean guys are just easier to get along. look we just you you fight it out and then you get over it and you have a beer and you're friends again or if you don't drink you have the soda and you're friends again right and it's just you know there's less drama less walking on you can be straightforward with it so I can totally I'm kind of getting dive delving into that category about <laughs> 
there's a Tosh Tosh bit where he's like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say it because I'm going to butcher it, but yeah. So there's that story. Kind of crazy, right? Wait, what does this say? Oh, this is great. So, uh, I mean, I read... I read... I read this yesterday, but I've read a lot yesterday. So anyways, at the very end, the last paragraph, this sums it up best. This is a quote from someone who wrote the write-up. He said he has used, talking about Colton, the gay man, he has used his journey for personal gain, quick wealth, and celebrity, the writer concluded. Underwood said he's known he was gay for a long time, including during his time on The Bachelor, and was just too scared to tell anyone. So, I mean, that only proves my point that it's... It's not even really about real love. It's really about being famous and getting known. That's really what it's about at the end of the day. But also, I think I'm still going with my original theory. He realized it was it was woman overload, and he was like, uh-uh, no thanks, done with this. <laughs> you, that's why you got to have... <laughs> oh, okay, I better stop talking. Then, continuing the crazy news, Elon Musk... The proving to be more and more Jim of our time. After the State of the Union, he replied to both Gene, President and Gene Simmons and kind of just showed out. Once again, dunking on people. Now, he doesn't really dunk on Gene Simmons because Gene Simmons... So basically, they mentioned electric vehicles and Ford. I, what was the... Where's the number? It's like $22 billion to create 11,000 jobs. It's something... Okay. Oh, no. Where is it? Where's the original tweet? Oh, there it is. Ford is investing $11 billion to build electric vehicles, creating 11,000 jobs. I'm no math expert, but that sounds like a crap ton of money to produce on a national scale because it says across the country. Very few jobs. But once again, this is not my area of expertise. It just sounds, it sounds once again, it's like, wow, it's a lot of money, create a lot of jobs. And then Elon responded and this is you know following his state of the union before leading up to a state of the union this is from joe biden's twitter account i'm not saying joe biden tweeted this because i don't believe he tweets any of his tweets somebody else does it we all know that elon replies he says tesla has created over fifty thousand u.s jobs building electric vehicles and is investing more than double gm and ford combined so he's not only saying we're investing way more than you guys but i've also created five times the jobs that you have so which just goes to show you that, I mean, classic government bureaucracy, we're going to spend $40 billion and the return on investment is going to be horrible, absolutely horrendous because we are wildly inefficient and overly bureaucratic and administrated. And so then Gene Simmons, what he responded to there was, said, actually, Elon Musk makes a solid point to the president. The president doesn't mention Tesla, perhaps because Tesla is non-union and moves to Texas, a right-to-work state. Give Elon Musk slash Tesla its due. They are game changers and should be heralded. And while Elon, I don't think he dun- he's dunking on him or rebutting this. He's just continuing. Which is actually, we still operate our California factory. So a little bit of a dunk. Which is the largest auto plant in North America. Definitely a dunk. At full capacity and are considering expanding it significantly. It has built two-thirds. This was the crazy stat annoying. Two-thirds of all electric vehicles in North America twice as much as all other car makers combined. Yeah. So 
cool. Good point, President Joe. But Elon's been doing this, is doing two thirds of all electric vehicles in America are Teslas. On one hand, I'm not necessarily surprised because I am seeing them everywhere. I've test driven them. They're, I mean, it's really exploded and it's revolutionary in a lot of ways and kind of a rethinking of automobiles too on some abstract levels, philosophical levels, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, I look at that and go, gosh, that's two-thirds, 66%. It's crazy. So good job, Elon Musk. Keep dunking on people. Um, Sam Elliott is a raging homophobe, apparently, because he doesn't like this modern cowboy show where he's like, it's not, it's not, it has nothing to do with the Old West. These Westerns aren't Westerns. They're Wokerns. That's what I'm going to call them. Horrible name, I know, but it's a woke Western, basically. And so everyone, of course, went to dunk on him. There's really not much to that story. And he he went off on a rant on this one. So, of course, you know, the internet mob was like, oh, cancel Sam Elliott. And it's like, first of all, he's too old to care, and he's too much of a Western guy to care. But really, his heart of the message is like, we go away from what Westerns actually are. People don't actually know what they are what the West was and represented. And so when they try and make these new modern Westerns, he goes, they're all crap and garbage. So according to Matt Walsh to 1883 or is the Yellowstone, one of those has gone full like woke recently and kind of shifted their storyline. And so he's quit watching. I never even started watching cause it's another streaming service. And here we are in the hyper it's, it's a silo silo full. It's a, landscape full of silos, meaning everyone has all their, their own platform. You, you know, it's only four or five bucks, but you have to get six of them to watch all the shows you want to watch. And so really how much money are you saving over the classic bundles? And I don't know pen, when pendulum's going to swing back. Let's keep moving with this crazy news. Cause there's a lot more I got to get to. So just, if you think that woke isn't woke and the left wing agenda isn't pervasive and in a lot of ways unnecessary and stupid or you want to know if you're wondering why I feel that way about it and how it's misguided passion I think would be the best way to put it because I think the passions of it aren't always bad but then I think the practical aspects are idiotic and this sums it up Nicole Hannah Jones founder of 1619 Project something that I think is once again misplaced passions we'll put it to put it kindly, very kindly, to speak at veterinary conference that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion. You heard that right, folks. A vet conference for veterinarians, which, by the way, this, this one hit close to home, and I sent this to my dad because my dad's a veterinarian. And it's a it's a collegiate veterinarian conference, so it's not. I don't think it's one of the ones he goes to. But I said, watch out. Be ready. So it's one thing if you want to include talks about this in your veterinary conference as kind of tangential talks, side topics. She is the keynote for veterinary medicine, the college where the focus is fixing animals, is healthcare for animals, is taking care of the animal world and people's pets. But yet here we go. It of course, you know, needs more of a focus on diversity equity and inclusion as james Lindsay puts it it's a subversive really it's at its heart it's a marxist communist ideology that is looking to supplant our society western culture our government and everything and in pursuit of this illogical utopia but yeah you that it's the american association of veterinary medical colleges 2022 
It's considered one of the leading professional developments in international academic veterinary medicine. Oh, perfect. So you mean at the key of this is we need we need to be more diverse, more equitable, inclusion. It's freaking working on dogs. It's it's fixing dogs. It's spays, it's neuters, it's treating problems with dogs. That's what it is. But yet, of course, there's I'm sure there's disparities and I'm sure there's problems. Are, are we talking about diversity, and equity, and inclusion within the dog community? Because they come in all colors, shapes, sizes, and breeds. And how do we break up? What you know? Which one is the racist dog? So that's basically what this is. I'll let you read this. Jeez. Oh, so that, but that is that is the that is the keynote. That is the foundational. You want to say doctrine? That is or theme that that is a through line for this conference. It's like, it should be veterinary medicine. And then if you want to say, Hey, there's actually a subsection where it's like, we want to talk about some diversity in the, in the, you know, the veterinary world, but the key should be furthering veterinary medicine. How can we make the field better? How can we be better? What are the new cutting edge technologies and treatments and those? Oh no, but it's, but see, the focus isn't actually improving the field. It's it's making it ideologically fit what we want and pursuing and trying to supplant every 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 aspect of culture, even veterinary. Medicine. I just couldn't believe I can't believe that it but it's real when it's you see see it's doing everything. So be on the lookout for that if you're in the veterinary world. All right. Time to finish with. Oh, geez, I'm not even going to be able to get in that. Well, it's a Daily Wire exclusive. I'll get into it. We're going to finish with a couple ones. Another quick hitter one that actually takes me back to my freshman year of college, and I think about this all the time. So there's an Illinois bill that would make drunk sex illegal. Yes, that's right. You heard it right. Now, when you say that, you say, okay, we mean that, like, first of all, how do you monitor that? People getting drunk, people are going to have sex all the time, especially when they get drunk, especially at parties and whatnot. So I look at that and I say, how can you monitor? How can you be, you have drunk sex, you're going to jail. And that's not really what it's doing. Really what it's doing is actually, in a lot of ways, much worse. So there's a, it's a proposed bill in Illinois. It would make it illegal to have sex while intoxicated, classifying such an act as a person being unable to give knowing consent. So if you've been to college and you've had some sort of generic health class, you've probably heard about this. I heard about this a decade, literally a decade ago, a decade ago this fall. I remember I was in, it was like some healthy wellness class or whatever. And I remember hearing this and most of the stuff I was like, okay, yeah, it's fine. And, and I was learning. And then I heard this section and I said, wait a minute. And at the time, I was like, I just, you know, being a dumb, not one. Now I'm someone who will speak up much more and really question and push back on things that just don't sound right. Because, you know, there are things that don't sound right. Sometimes it's a lack of understanding. And we're like, I just don't fully understand it. Then we understand it. And we're like, okay, we're convinced. This makes sense. This is one that has never made sense. And even when it was explained to me by my professor, it didn't make sense. And it was this, that when looking at, and you know, so they kind of hit on the rape culture. This is before I was really realized more of the indoctrination and the fallacy, a lot of fallacies and, and, and narrative around, a, you know, rape culture. And don't get me wrong. Rape is abhorrent. And we can talk about that, but I don't need to make those qualifying statements. You guys know how I feel about it. It's, it's bad as everyone feels about it. Minus save those people who decide to commit rape. And they, and we were talking about that and they were saying, yeah, so actually what we're just, what's being, I don't remember what they said. It almost, it was pitched almost as like, this is something new that we've learned. 
that they're taught that is being talked about something new that's being brought into the the sphere of this world and they started talking you know they're talking about safe sex and condoms and birth control and all the different female condoms mouth con all sorts of things plastic and all stuff and i was like me you know being a good young christian boy i was like i don't know what any of this is never heard of it all <laughs> it's kind of funny but then they got to the point they said yeah if so they're like so when you're drunk, I, this and this was a point that was espoused in that class. They said, if you're drunk, you know, if a girl's drunk and she has sex with a guy, she is intoxicated. Her judgment is impaired. Therefore, she cannot give consent. So that, technically speaking, could be rape. And I, I remember like raising my hand, and be like, oh, hold on. But what if they're both drunk, under their own volition? I was like, couldn't the same be said for the guy then that he didn't know what he was doing and that he could claim rape against her? Like, shouldn't it be because, you know, equality, right? And we'd be at the same party. We could both voluntarily choose to take shots together and then we'd voluntarily choose to shack up in the back bedroom together. And she's, and the professor said, no, he, he, a girl, and obviously this goes back to the fact that females are a more, are vulnerable to this more than males. Not saying males don't get raped, but it is very much a lopsided thing that it's females and females are in general more vulnerable to that, especially and more vulnerable and then more vulnerable in, the, in this. And on college campuses, there can definitely be issues with, you know, people slipping things into drinks and, and getting girls very blackout drunk and then having your way with them. And that is rape. But, the, and, and I don't disagree with that. Right. Getting someone so out of their mind that they're not even coherent. They they may not even remember it, or if they vaguely remember it, and it's like they, you know, on one, internally they're saying, "Oh, I don't want this," but they can't even express that externally because they're so out of their mind. That is rape, and that is disgusting. And I was like, okay, and I was tracking right, and but then they said, yeah, and there's actually, you know, it's actually said that you know, if a girl, even if you just have too much to drink and get a little buzz or whatever, you that 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 is looked at as you could not give consent, and therefore that could fall as rape, technically be rape. I just remember saying, oh, hold on. I get the whole overly drunk and taking advantage of like very like drunk girls and whatnot, and that's a problem. And purposely, you know, getting a girl to a point where she might say yes and pressing the issue, those are all issues. But they it was being it was being brought into the sphere of we go out, have a couple drinks, get a little buzz, decide to shack up, and you could wake up the next day and say, I've been raped because I was under the influence of alcohol. To which I said, hold on, we both were. So nobody could give consent. And me, you know, say, say I made a move on you and you accepted move. Guess what? I, I did, technically did not give consent to that move. And what if, and, here, and here's the flip side too. Here's the crazy thing about it, right? What if I, what if you made the first move on me and said, hey, come back to my place and went back to your place and did that, right? And this is all hypothetical, by the way. And, you, the woman, could still claim rape against a man. Even in that situation, even though it was the man who technically had to give consent in a lot of ways. And so, to me, this is very clearly, very pervasive in going to put a lot of men in danger. And really, when I looked at it, I was like, well, as a guy then, I never, ever, ever, knowing that I can be convicted of, of rape for something that's very clearly not rape, and not receive equal treatment under the law here. An acknowledgement that I my judgment was impaired too. But it comes back to the overpowering thing, right? So 
This bill was introduced and it would amend a criminal code to include the term unable to give knowing consent. That includes when a victim is intoxicated, but the accused did not provide or administer. This is the key point, right? The accused did not provide or administer the intoxicating substance. Meaning you chose to get intoxicated. And I, I, that's where I, that's where I draw the line and say, hold on. If you are choosing to knowingly intake substances that will intoxicate you, you either have to have the safety net built in or, you know, be prepared. This is going to sound very heartless. Be prepared to suffer the consequences. And the consequences, maybe you, you end up kind of regretting that you hooked up with this guy. That does not mean you were raped. That just means you got impaired and made a stupid decision because your judgment was impaired. But you knowingly did all these things and voluntarily all along the way partook. So, so, and, but this, now we're seeing it trying to be codified into law in Illinois. This means someone who willingly drinks alcohol, but then has sex with someone possibly due to lowered inhibitions can automatically claim to be a rape victim. And it will be, shoon through and we've seen this on college campuses where there have been cases where girls cry rape and then when they and then the guys you've seen guys you know they get preemptively expelled and whatnot but then upon further investigation or being or suing the school because they're being kicked out losing their scholarship all sorts of things they find out that it was a made-up story that the girl willingly consented and then either the guy didn't want to be her boyfriend or she just wanted to get back at him because they broke up and they was while they were dating and, and it's a vengeful thing. So girls literally crying rape. And I remember one specific instance where, uh, that, that happened there. It was, it was a high profile athlete and the story came out that he supposedly raped. And then, and then literally like two days later, story comes out, text messages were released, interviews were done. And it was found out that basically this girl, she, you know, had her chance with, this big athlete. And he, he was just like, no, I just want to hook up, you know, one, I just want to one night stand you. She wanted to, of course, try and be his girlfriend and all this stuff. And, you know, and, Oh, let's be a thing. And he was like, no, 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 I'm sorry. Like, I'm, that's not how I roll. I'm a superstar athlete. I can get all the girls I want. And I'm not saying that's right either, but you know, she went and she willingly shacked up with him and stuff. But then, and, and then upon being rejected afterwards and being left out to dry, she goes, you know what? Actually, you raped me and causes a big fuss. Fortunately, it got resolved and he didn't, his, his college career wasn't ruined. His college life aspirations weren't ruined, but we have seen other cases where that's been the case. And I'm not saying that we should always take accusations seriously and seriously do our due diligence and investigate, but we should not jump to any conclusions until investigations have been done. You can take precautions, but I think at the, at least on the colleges, on the front of the colleges, you see that happening way too much where they preemptively do all the stuff because the message is, well, you just need to believe the woman because we're not believing women. It's like, hold on, I'm taking you seriously, but I need to look into this and there should be evidence of it in general. And doing an earnest investigation should bear out the evidence. So yeah, that, but that's what they're doing in Illinois. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be living in Illinois anytime soon, so that's good. And they say this language is very you know, it, the language is very vague and it's very obvious that this is a ploy to basically 
put men in a position where they're assumed guilty, guilty, which is also, and that's another thing about it. You are innocent until proven guilty. Someone makes an accusation against you. Guess what? You are innocent until they have to prove those accusations. And we live in a world now where people like to, especially, you know, with crying racism, call, call someone racist. And then they feel like they have to prove that they're not racist. It's like, actually, if you get called racist, they have to show the proof that you are racist. And then you can either refute rebuttal then then you can make your defense but you actually don't have an obligation to be like no i'm not racist it's like because it's like okay what evidence do you have like if someone wants to come out and be like rambling viking is racist and i would say okay show me the proof where's the evidence what you got you you show me the proof and then i'll then then i'll talk but i'm not gonna sit here and be like well no i have black friends and i love all colors and breed and all this No, 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 no no you're making the claims here you have the burden of proof. And, yeah. So that's what's happening in Illinois. And this article goes on to cover. And cover the rest of this and talk about all the implications around it. But that's my thoughts on it. And I remember hearing that 10 years ago, but now seeing it trying to be codified in the law is crazy. So... Daily Wire also did a great article. Now you have to be a subscriber to read this one. So I'll share the link and you can read the first paragraph. <laughs> but it's a full breakdown of Kentaji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court nominee, where they're touting its first nominate black woman in the Supreme Court. I want to remind everybody, George Bush in 2003 nominated a black woman to the Supreme Court and her nomination was not accepted. So Kentaji Brown technically is not the first one to receive the no- first black woman to receive a nomination. That happened 18 years ago, 19 years ago now. But she would be the first black woman on the Supreme Court, which we see the racist affirmative action taking its place because Joe Biden long ago promised he would be a black woman if he nominated someone in the Supreme Court and basically saying, here's my first criteria. And then after that, we'll try and find the qualifications when it should be. It's like, no, no, we're going to find the most qualified people. And there are people of every color, sex and creed that are qualified within the judicial system and proven. I mean, she was she's been on a federal circuit since like 2013. But I'm not going to read all this or walk through it, but it breaks down all of her her stances and talks about it. And from what I know, she is a, an activist liberal judge. And you might say, well, you're just a conservative, so you're not going to like anyone they're going to put. I don't know why I'm, Alex Jones is this internal verse, voice, but that's who it is. You're not, you're not going to like a liberal judge. You want a, you want a conservative judge. And it's like, no, no, honestly, I'm tired of hearing liberal and conservative. I'm fine with having reasonable conservative, reasonable liberal. I care most about do you adhere to the constitution and the law and try and objectively objectively carry that out and hold that up? And there's several cases where she doesn't. One interesting thing is, where is it? She Okay, so she did this case on government bureaucracy and labor unions. So it was back in 2018. And where she struck down these three executive orders. But then the D.C. Court of Appeals overturned her decision ruling that Jackson lacked jurisdiction to rule on the case. So basically she was ruling something she had no jurisdiction to rule over. So that's one interesting instance. But then when you go into her biography, talks about it. So here's an interesting thing. And... I also want to mention that this shouldn't be taken in such a way that um, this shouldn't be taken. I'm not saying, see, I'm not going to use this as fuel necessarily to say that she 
doesn't deserve a look at all, but it is important to learn about the person we're looking at, right? So she, since being on the a fed, the federal circuit since 2013, she's authored more than four, 550 opinions, which were frequently overturned on appeal. So, and then she was actually considered for Merrick Garland for the seat in 2016 that Merrick Garland now filled, but Obama went with Merrick Garland. And that's interesting, right? Looking back now, you say, well, hold on. He went with a white man instead of the the black female, black empowerment. What's going on? And, and you know what? I look at that and say, well, maybe there's something to it. Maybe, maybe also maybe he was looking at it saying, uh, this is, you know, the other side, I'm not going to get, I don't have the votes to get someone, even if he wanted her. And that's a political strategic decision. So, yeah, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. She might get nominated and that's fine, but I, I, I don't like the, there is, there's enough question on her activism side for me where it's a judge is not to be an activist. A judge is to be a beacon for the rule of law and constitution and in her, at least from being presented and I'm coming from a conservative news source and a conservative side here, I think there's too much activism for my like. Obviously, the big issues like abortion, she's very pro-choice, which I don't agree with. <clears throat> and so in general, she's on the other side of the ideological aisle and that's fine. But then there's the moments where it's like she ruled on this Trump executive order thing and they overturn it. It was like, what are you even doing here? You don't have the right to rule in this case. So it's interesting, right? So there, and there's some interesting questions. Apparently this is coming from the ethics and public policy center. Ed well, Whalen said that Jackson is not highly regarded as a judge and has a middling reputation. This criticism all emphasizes on grounds of quality, not ideology. So this is someone who's saying they're looking at, the way she is ruled as a judge and her abilities as a judge in a lot of ways. And, and not even saying that, Oh, it's because she's liberal or because she's conservative, because I think you could have, you have the same problems with an ultra conservative judge, which a lot of people say Amy Coney Barrett is and Brett Kavanaugh are, but actually they have been more mild in their rulings. If, if they were ultra conservative, they would have, they would have cited on several different sides of, uh, um, of recent Supreme court cases. So, We'll see. But honestly, things kind of look up for her to get confirmed because she got confirmed in 2018 or 19. She got upgraded again to to fill another seat. So, all right, we're at an hour. Do I have time to cover this? I have time to cover this because I can talk for as long as I want because it's my podcast. Now it's up to you to listen. So final story of the day is Sports Illustrated did a giant write-up on Leah Thomas, a.k.a. William Thomas, the transgender U-Pen swimmer that has caused so much controversy. And the article from the Daily Wire, which I then went on to read the Sports Illustrated write-up. It's very long, but it's worth the read. You get a lot of insight into Leah's story and his journey of becoming a transgender swimmer. You, If you have a problem with me saying he, it's because he's still biologically female and has done, done hormonal stuff, but still still has his tally knackle. So there's lots of issues I have personally there, and I also believe this is more of a move. There, This, in so many ways, this... This seems to fit in the situation that was warned about years ago when transgenderism and this ideology really started picking up speed. 
that you're going to see men, and we've seen it too in other cases, in sexual predation cases, where men, predators, are going to take advantage of the openness and willingness to accept anyone and everyone who wants to identify as a female as a female and in female spaces and invade them. And we're seeing that take over in sports, specifically here with this story. Obviously, my crazy objection, or crazy objection, so what drives me crazy here is when I started reading the story, I didn't realize, I knew he had been a collegiate swimmer. Three years, he's been on the UPenn men's swim team. And actually, his first two seasons, he he was set to make the NCAA championships his second se- season. He didn't prove that much. He was a, was a fairly good swimmer, at least at Penn and, the, and in the Ivy League, and was placing second at some of the meets and whatnot and doing... So actually better swimmer than I thought, because that's what you see is he was the 400 something best man in the nation. Well, I don't know when that ranking came from, but at least looking at this story was actually pretty good. Still was not, you know, just outwardly the best at all, but then transitions to a woman and is automatically amazing setting records. The thing that infuriated me the most is they talked about there's potential to break Katie Ledecky records, which she is the Michael Phelps of female swimming. And I think it'll be a tragedy if we see a biological man come in and own those records, I think that'll be absolutely horrible because the joke that I keep saying is that the best (laughs) we're seeing men dominate sports and we're seeing men dominate women's sports. The best women are men. And that's what we're seeing. And biology, I'm sorry. I don't care about how much hormonal treatment you've done. Biology still stands undefeated in, because it's one thing if say Leah Tom, it, it could be a slightly different conversation if Leah Thomas had been, you know, transitioned for a decade, but it's been not even full 36 months yet. So three years. And he trained and developed as a male swimmer at the collegiate level for two and a half seasons. And then now his transition is like, yeah, I'm going to swim as a woman. And we're seeing those, the effects of that, the unfairness of it. So at its core, but you know, the, the title from here is I am here to swim. And it's like, yeah, you are clearly here to swim. And uh, looking at it and you say, you might say, oh, yeah, so I so I can either be middle of the pack dude and at best, you know, maybe just make the championships and hope to maybe get on the podium. Or it's like I can be the greatest swimmer of all time in women's swimming. You tell me. But it absolutely infuriated me. Sorry, I didn't finish that point. That also made reference to Leah is going to try and make the 2024 Olympics and could be on the female swim team with Katie Ledecky and all these other people. And I just, I want to rip my hair out of that. So personally, I'm a huge Katie Ledecky fan and I think she's incredible, but I, I fundamentally believe that men should not be in women's sports. And you might say, well, he's a trans woman and hormonal thing. She's still a man. There are fundamental biological differences and hurdles that you cannot overcome. You can Drop your testosterone levels, your bone mineral density. He said he shrunk about an inch. And all that may be true. But you are still, at the most fundamental, basic, cellular, microbiological level, a man. And there are certain advantages, especially if you grew up that way and you are post-puberty male. There are differences that you can't simply overcome with that. So they they talk about everything, though. Uh, They talk about the support. They talk about... The descent on the team. So the Daily Wire article is pretty short, but the SI read up is really, really big. And it goes into actually, here's, here's another, another, 
one part of it goes into talking about how Leah came to know this, you know, truth and live out as a, as a person. And this is something too, that societally I think is fundamentally shifted in our psyche. So guess, surprise, surprise gum. Um, let's see, even though was doing well in sports and athletics in college had come out and started to going back to high school, had seen a counselor, then had seen a counselor at the college, then had, um, been basically been counseled. And I'm going to say, I'm going to use the term groomed into believing that trans woman. So William, you know, was having these doubts and these strange thoughts and wasn't sure, didn't feel comfortable in his own body and skin. And there's two approaches we can take to that right now. And really what, how our culture shifted is saying, oh, if you don't feel comfortable, then that is, that is truth because truth is relevant. There's no object. Instead of, there's one of two ways to look at that. You can say, well, there, there's a, there's a dysphoria here, right? There's a problem. There's some sort you know, mental illness we can address and we can try and fix and, and repair and teach you to, you know, accept and be comfortable in your own skin or, and this is, and that's not what is done because that is seen as conversion therapy, even though it's like a, you're affirming your biological reality. The other way is actually converted. But anyways, the other route then is to say, oh, well, what you're realizing is your actual real truth. You're right. This actually isn't you. And these feelings, and, and I think it's an overcorrection of validation of someone's feelings. I'm not saying your feelings are invalid in the sense that it's wrong that you're feeling I think there's something going on that you need to deal with. Your feelings are valid, but they can be, they can, they can ultimately lead to a wrong thought process or self-perception. That can be true, but your feelings, your feeling, the struggle you're going through is very, is of course very valid. But the problem is, is I think we see validation as be, as saying, oh, that is correct. You know what? You actually are right. This is, and, and, you know, they start to tell you, okay, this is what transgender, and, and they start to document, and he talks about being educated on these certain transgender stories and says, yeah, that sounds a lot like what I'm feeling. So maybe that's, oh, I'm actually a woman. When in actuality, it could be, no, you're actually just, you, you have some dysphoria, some mental health issue. But really, you are a guy and you are a man and that's okay and we're going to teach you to be okay with it. And I, and I think that's a fundamental problem personally that I have with a lot of the transgender movement is I'm not – is we can, we can you know dive into that in another episode. I've already gone way too long. But is that – is that actually the carrying route to then – to push someone and say, yeah, no, you, you well, it's a, you're actually a boy. You're actually a girl or you're you know, actually a man. You're actually a woman. You need to transition. You need to do this. And, or is it, is the more loving thing to do is to, you know, I'm just begging the question here really is that like, what is actually the caring thing to do? Is it teaching someone to accept themselves as they are and, and learning to cope with that and deal with that and get through this struggle that might be a lifelong struggle as far as dealing with depression, anxiety, or self-perception and, and finding and working through that? Or is it saying, Oh, well, no, you're feeling this because you're actually this way and you need to, you need to totally shift everything and transition because you are in the wrong body and, and looking at this doubt or this new, you know, doubt in our self-perception and just say, Oh no, 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 you're absolutely right. And that's what it is. The unquestioned, unbridled affirmation of potential delusion instead of affirming that, no, 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 
you're actually this is this is actually how it is, you know? Because there are certain things that we can't change about. I can't change that I'm loud, brash, or seen as brash. I'm loud, intense, and opinionated. And I struggle with that a lot of times in saying that it's like, why am I this way? You know, I find myself when it's like, oh, I'm dominating a conversation. I'm yelling. I'm overwhelming someone. And it's just like, I'm. sometimes I get tired of being, believe it or not. Yeah, so there are moments where it's like, I get tired of this. And I think, man, I'm just wrong. This doesn't feel right. You know, this isn't, I'm not handling the situation right, but this is naturally how I am. And so how do I cope with that? And sometimes I say, well, you know, there's, this is the way I am. So I got to figure out and I can be better. And I don't know if this analogy even makes any sense, but I'm just saying there are certain facts about ourselves that we necessarily can't change. The fact that I'm a man. So I could start to have conflicting dysphoria feelings and be like, man, I feel like I really more feminine. My personal belief is that we took what used to be an acceptance of saying, yeah, you don't have to be super masculine and macho to be, to be a guy, you can, there are more, it, it's a masculinity, femininity spectrum and saying, if you're a more feminine guy, that's fine. You're just more feminine guy. And if you're a more masculine girl, that's fine. You're just a tomboy. Now what we see is we see, oh, if you're a tomboy, well, it's cause you're supposed to be a boy. And if you're a feminine guy, it's well, cause you're supposed to be a girl. And that's where the rub is for me. And I say, what's wrong with having a feminine guy or a masculine girl? Why does it have to be that you're in the wrong body and you need to transition? And that's the question that I beg. And I think that's an important question to bring up in these discussions is because that's how things have shifted. And people say, well, we've discovered that gender is actually fluid and it's actually, and no, it's, I don't believe that. And, but, but why was, why was the previous thing wrong? Cause personally, I can tell you right now, I married a tomboy and I look at her and I say, what, what, how would your life possibly be totally different if you'd grown up today? And I think if she'd grown up today, she would have been, depending on her situation, but there's a very high likelihood that she, at some point along the road, she would have been convinced that she was actually a guy and would have ended up being trans. But naturally, she's just a tomboy and she's a woman and she loves being a woman and has, you know, that is her, that is her object, the objective reality and truth about her. So... Yeah, I know. Crazy, crazy stuff. So, But it's an interesting write-up. I encourage you, go read it. Go read the Daily Wire one, and then they link to the SI article. Go read the SI article. Learn a lot more about Leah's story. And it's interesting to see, you know, and of course there's been the claims of, see the development. And when I look at that, when I learned about his history of, okay, going back to high school, he, he, he met with a counselor, and then there was some counseling in college, and then, and then he may, either met a friend or someone who was trans or, and then heard their story and then identified with that and said, yeah, this is actually what's going on. I actually believe we're hurting more than helping when we do that because what we're, it, it, it I mean, it falls in line with postmodern relativism that your truth is, is true for you. What's true for you may not be true for me, which to that I say, well, if I use your biological pronouns, then that's true to me. So why does your truth have to trump my truth? And that's also another interesting uh, kind of catch 22 moment when you start falling into that. Cause if everything is relative, then I could call you, you know, I could call you Wiley coyote. And it's like, well, that, but my truth is you're really like Wiley coyote and I want to call you Wiley coyote. So that's what I'm going to call you. So interesting, but I don't know, maybe that's a too harsh of an argument. So I'm curious to know your thoughts though, on where Lee, on where you stand with Leah Thomas and everything. I mean, I absolutely believe that he should not be able to compete and this should not be a thing. We're seeing men take over women's sports and women's opportunities to be snubbed with no chance of com- competing because an interesting thing too, that I learned from this article is that he is a distance swimmer, 
was a distance swimmer as a man solely, which typically you find your niche, you know, your distance swimmer or your mid or your sprinter. And now what is he doing? He's competing in the 200, the 100 free, which are sprints. I might say oh, 200 is kind of mid range, you know, it's like four or five or whatever, four down and backs. And it's like, yes, but it's still in the swimming world to sprint because there's also like the 1650 meter, which is like 66 laps or something crazy. But now he, he's still doing distance, but now he's also doing sprint. And to me, that accentuates the, the fact that biologically he is just far superior to all the other women. Because it's like, hold on, you were just a long distance guy and you were good, decent at least. And now you come here and it's like, now you can kind of run the table and whatever you want, sprinting, distance, whatever. You can kick butt everywhere. Yeah, it's because you are fundamentally better than everyone else. Because you are a man competing against woman, women. So uh, I think it's something that's, that needs to be pushed back on. And as I've said previously before when this story comes up is that all these anonymous parents and swimmers, I know it's their livelihood at stake, but if it's something that is this important culturally, then I'm, if you're put in that unfortunate position where it's like, I think it is the necessary step is to be willing to sacrifice your career, sacrifice you know, being personally attacked and, and, and the anonymity, anonymity, if you really want to, you know, if you really believe in putting up a fight here, which unfortunately they're being put in a tough place to have to decide between one or the other. But if it is that big of a deal, if all women's sports are at stake here, then you need to put everything on the line. And I'm not saying that I would want to, I don't think anybody would want to, if I was in your position, but I, where I am now, I know if I was put in that position, I would absolutely stand up, be willing to put my name and my face out there, make everything public, make it known. Yeah, I might get kicked out of school. Yeah, I might lose that. But what? But that is the type of, I mean, if it is this important culturally, then we need to be willing to put it all on the line. So, yeah. All right. That was a longer episode than expected because I got motivational at the beginning. But lots and lots of crazy news this week and crazy stuff going on and all sorts of wild stuff. So go read all of them if you can. If you're a Daily Wire member, you can read the Kentaji. I probably said her name wrong. No, Kentaji Brown-Jackson, the Supreme Court nominee. And read up on that as that takes place over the coming months. I think they're trying to start the hearings before Easter or get the voting even before Easter. So it's interesting to see it all all come together so yeah thoughts on everything and everything i could talk for 30 more minutes on this and read through the story but just go read for it yourself give me all your thoughts and feedback and where you stand on this issue and do you think this is a major cultural issue i mean what do you think about kanye doing doing a music video where he buries pete davidson alive that's kind of crazy or the new homophobic sam elliott elon musk being just the best or veterinary medicine going full woke or The Bachelor turning a guy gay. I mean, this is all crazy stuff that happened this week. So, yeah, lots of lots of fun, good stuff. So, excited about a lot of stuff coming up. Going to be Remember, if you want to read along with me, it's 12 Rules for Life is what we're reading this month. The first one cuz he has released two. Read The Carnivore Code last month and then January was How Not to Read the Bible. Both book reviews are up live. We're also doing Blessings Born Out of Tragedy where people talk about the hard times they went through and the blessings that came from them. And my sister's story is up. It was college. It was it was doing college through COVID, and especially with with someone who has a learning accommodation, 
Go check out all those episodes out. All the articles are in the description. If you're interested in the Carnival Code, I mean, get the book. Check it out. Check out my book review. Go to his website. Look into it. Liver is disgusting, but you should definitely follow the Liver King. He is wildly entertaining and just a beast and a monster. Uh, my spirit animal is what I'm calling him. Don't forget, too, I do have stickers now. We've got stickers for the show. You can show off your Hanyak Horde pride. You, you can get your Rambling Viking podcast sticker. But that's that for this episode. That's more than enough for this Friday edition of Weird to get you through your weekend, keeping it PDFG. Till we're back Monday with the next dose of Weird and possibly next week doing some more Blessing Born Out of Tragedy, but not to give away too, too much. Please send in all comments, suggestions, ideas, anything. DMs, voice memos, it's all... You can access it all through the website. All the info's there. Follow us on social media. If you want to see me eat raw liver and how that experience was and how horrible it was, we get some free entertainment. About six minutes, 42 seconds of entertainment. Go follow the Rambling Viking podcast on Instagram. It was posted there. But that does it for this Dose of Weird. Thank you so much for being a part of the Hanyak Horde. I hope this discussion was fun, was meaningful, was encouraging, and there's something to pull away. I like to... Think of this as a well-rounded podcast because we all have these different aspects. We have cultural, we have personal, we have political, we have emotional. We are all of these things as as persons. And I don't want to just be one-dimensional in my podcast. I want this to be expressed is that you can see is that, yeah, there's funny stuff. There's sad stuff. There's serious stuff. There's lighthearted stuff. There's cultural stuff. I, because we all are interacting with this in every way. And we all have all those aspects about us. So just like we all are multifaceted people, I want this podcast to be multifaceted and kind of be expressed in such a way. And I hope, and I try and do that in most every episode. Some episodes are serious, some are more funny, and some are just kooky. And we ride the lightning every single time, though. But that does it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please be sure to review, leave a five-star review, share this. Or you, I guess if you think I'm a one-star podcast, leave a one-star review, what have you. Last but not least, I am considering paying someone a dollar for every episode they will provide me clip notes on that I can go and clip certain segments, funny jokes, funny thoughts, or the just anything, right? So if I talk about when I talk the episode where I talked about Ride the Lightning, what that means, or what a Hanyak is, or what the Hanyak horde is, or PDFG, some of those things, and your clips, or any just funny clips, funny moments, if I have a joke or a funny story. Consider this, if you're someone who already listens, you could now make a dollar while you listen to each episode. Now, that being said, this is something under consideration. If you'd be interested in, all you have to do is just say, hey, uh, so this episode, this minute mark, you know, between the one uh, starting at the 1230 mark and ending at the 1450 mark, you know, you talked about this subject and there's this clip and that, I mean, that's what I'm looking for because I would I'm honestly being a little bit of a hanyak and being a little bit lazy when you go back and listen and have to take show notes on all my episodes and clip them out together to, to pull clips. I want to start posting little clips from episodes to give people little tastes of things. So if you want to make a dollar, <laughs> that's and, and you already listened to the episodes. So I know I'm telling you this now and you could have done it for this episode, but maybe you could go back and listen on one and a half speed. S- Send me, and we we'll, we'll, we might negotiate and talk about it, but if you think that's worth it, but just to give me, like, hey, here's here's a little, you know, here's from episode 244, here's, you know, at this point you talked about this, at this point you talked about that, and it gives me a way to go back, I can clip out those parts of those episodes, and have clips for social media, for trailers, and different things, because that's something I want to start doing, so... 
Okay, this Norwegian. that's enough for this Norwegian goodbye. You guys got to get to your weekend. You got stuff to do, people to see, babies to punch, I mean kiss, and all sorts of excitement to be had. So that'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening. This is your head, Hanyak, signing off.